0: Hello, I'm Pomi Harmer and you're listening to the 11th podcast of the series Follow the Sun. I'm with Marian Mente who wrote this book which presents the sequence of the Zodiac as a story. Hello, Marian. Hi there, Pomi. Nice to see you again. And you too. We've arrived at Chapter 11, the land of Aquarius. Aries is now at the 11th sign and has almost completed his journey. In the last chapter, we heard about his experience in Capricorn, who taught him some valuable lessons about calculating the movements of the lights in the sky. Now he's arrived in Aquarius, where not only Saturn rules, but also the later discovered planet of Uranus. I'll be chatting to you about Uranus later in the podcast, but now perhaps you could explain the characteristics of Aquarius and why you've placed him in a laboratory in his lakeside home and made him an inventor.
1: (laughs) Yes, Aquarius on with the new. Aquarius, it's an air sign. And of course, its symbol is the water bearer. As you say, like Capricorn, it's a domain of Saturn and then later of Uranus, the planet associated with the breaking of boundaries, revolutionary ideas, sudden shocks, electricity, flight and technology. As for its traditional characteristics, the energy of Aquarius is yang and its element is air. It's the 11th sign beginning mid-January to mid-February and following a cardinal sign, it has a fixed quality. It's associated with humanitarianism and utopian ideals, originality, scientific discovery, also with the lower legs, the calves and the ankles. And when expressed positively, the spirit of Aquarius is innovative, tolerant, friendly, honest, humanitarian, idealistic and objective. When negative, it can be erratic, detached, rebellious, dogmatic, stubborn, perverse even and cantankerous. Aquarius is the polar opposite of Leo and because of its originality and scientific bent I thought it most appropriate to have Aquarius busily experimented in his lab mm. and the eccentric professor archetype and because of the humanitarian quality associated with this sign that he spends his time inventing things to help his neighbours and friends on Zodiac. Strongly Aquarian types they enjoy the unconventional and by and large are open and friendly people.
0: Oh, that sounds very nice, to be born as an Aquarium. So what's happened up till now? Well, a lot, because we're near the end of the journey. Aries' quest has brought him through the realms of the Zodiac to the point where he's been rescued from his ordeal in Scorpio's labyrinth by Sagittarius, who brought him to Capricorn's realm to recover. While with Capricorn, Aries learnt disturbing news about the great fire that burns at the core of Zodiac's world it's possible diminishing and the threat to life that would bring. Capricorn also told him about the importance of the Black Pearl, which he remembers as being a gift to Cancer from the Gemini, believing the crab still has it. Meantime, Libra has been waiting in Scorpio's realm for Scorpio and Serpentis to return from their search of the labyrinth for Aries, and so for the Black Pearl, which only they of the Collective's realm now know is no longer with Cancer, but with the Ram. However, since leaving Aries in Capricorn's care, Sagittarius has made his way to Scorpio to collect the consignment of fire-bright gems for the coming celebration of light. On finding Libra there, he gives the good news that Aries is indeed alive. But also neither he nor Capricorn knew of or have seen or found the pearl on Aries' person. They surmise it was lost when the ram was scorched by the flames of the fire. Libra decides to wait on for Scorpio to emerge, though most unlikely there's the slimmest of chances that she'll find the pearl laying lost in some passage there. While Sag decides he must take the fire-bright gems to the peaks and the news of the pearl to Capricorn and Aries. But Aries has unexpectedly departed the peaks during a race with Capricorn and is about to most unexpectedly arrive at Aquarius' door.
1: Expect the unexpected. Aquarius was busy in his workshop. Before him were glass tubes and bowls filled with various liquids and powders. He was consumed with his latest creation of colourful fireworks when something disturbed his concentration. He was sure he'd heard the rumbling of thunder, but the sun was streaming through his window. Odd. Moving to the window, he gazed up at the blue sky, Puffs of white cloud drifted high across the blue, and there was nothing to signal an approaching storm. Very odd, he muttered, and turning back to his bench became once more engrossed in essaying his powders. He paused again. There was definitely a strange rumbling, and it was certainly getting louder. He strode across his workshop and opened the door, outwards. Sunlight flooded in, blinding him for an instant, Shading his eyes, he looked towards the snow-covered slopes and started back in horror. Hurtling towards him was a large ball of snow, chased by a mini-avalanche. He slammed the door shut a split second before it struck. The building shook and the door bowed inwards at the impact. He waited expectantly, listening for sounds which would tell if the building could take it. All was quiet. Very, very odd, he remarked shaken as he strode back towards the window, grabbing a shovel on the way. Easing his tall angular frame through the opening, he cursed at being disturbed from his work, but at the same time was highly curious about this intrusion. Despite the force of the impact, the snowball was still intact, and with a view to clearing his doorway, Aquarius gave a few hefty blows with the shovel Immediately muffled sounds came from the ball itself, which had also begun to wobble of its own accord. Aquarius sprang back in shock. What? A live snowball? Scratching his unruly mop of hair, he deliberated the absurdity of the situation, perplexed as the odd ball increased its noisy wobbling. Enlightenment dawned. He addressed the thing. Ahem, is it? I I mean, are you a, a sort of life form? It seemed a perfectly reasonable question. The snowball showed a deal more agitation, much to the ecstatic delight of Aquarius, who instantly proclaimed, ''A new life form! Oh my gosh, how fantastic! How beautifully bizarre! A wonderful new life form!'' Pacing to and fro, he was now beside himself with excitement. He must first determine if it has real intelligence, then establish a method of communication. ''Can you understand me?'' He bellowed, though why he imagined the life-form was hard of hearing is beyond explanation. The ball began to shed lumps of ice, and he could definitely hear thuds from inside. Excellent! A positive response, he reasoned. Rubbing his hands together in anticipation of the mysteries to be revealed, Aquarius considered how he could resolve his most burning question. "'Had this entity just landed from the vastness of the skies? "'Or had it been hidden for time beyond measure "'in the snowdrifts of the great West Mountains, "'never recognised or understood by its neighbouring fellows? "'What an abominable thought! "'He fervently hoped it had landed from the skies. "'In no way was he alarmed by the newcomer. "'On the contrary, here was something "'that would smash the boundaries of the known, "'never mind his front door.' Nothing did Aquarius like more than to test boundaries. Though sometimes his experiments had unpredictable and occasionally disastrous results, never was he deterred from attempting something new and testing his theories. Indeed, he could be extremely stubborn, especially when he encountered resistance to an outlandish idea from those more traditional or cautious. But here was something completely different for him to explore and understand. Something totally new that would revolutionise thinking in his world. That he seemed a trifle eccentric, trying to communicate with a ball of snow, bothered him not a jot. Then the unexpected happened. The ball burst apart to reveal a ram in a black woolly coat. I am Ares, a cold bruise life form, he announced crossly, teetering from the mass. Shock turned to hilarity as Aquarius doubled up laughing at the comical scene. He wasn't too disappointed with Ares for not being the discovery of the age, being highly impressed by his outlandish arrival. Oh, You might find it amusing, chattered Ares, shivering, but I feel quite peculiar. Aquarius struggled to keep a straight face. Of course, of course, you have literally just broken the mould and are probably in a state of shock. Or should that be in a shocking state? Oh, apparently both. (laughs) And relapsing into fits of laughter again, he helped Ares walk around the side of the workshop through a heavy metal door and into the main house. I'll fetch some food and drink. Sit yourself by the fire. You'll soon feel better. His warm, friendly manner and engaging smile made Ares feel welcome. Aquarius was a very sociable character who enjoyed having visitors and the more unusual they were, the better he liked them. The room was light and spacious without clutter. A couple of Libra's landscapes adorned one wall and a few crystallised rocks were jotted around as ornaments. A tall plant with large spiky leaves stood in one corner and, like others of the collective, He had a telescope and a sundial. The clean lines of the large square room retained a Spartan feel, the only concession to cushion comfort being a right-angled sofa sprawling around an open log fire. One of the walls was comprised entirely of a large picture window. This had views onto a wide lake that seemed to extend from below the house itself. A high waterfall tumbled down the mountainside into the tranquil water, and tall pines, interspersed with bright buried bushes, grew along the shorelines. The scene was extremely picturesque. "'Where did you say you came from?' asked Aquarius, returning with a tray of refreshments. "'I didn't, but I come from the land where the sun rises first. began Ares, "'and I have travelled across the realms.' "'Oh, how revolutionary!' marvelled Aquarius, eyes wide." He knew Ares was a sovereign of the headland and was intrigued that he'd travelled so far from home. It sounds fantastic, but before I hear all about that, where did you just come from? In the snowball, I mean. Ares told him about his race with Capricorn and abrupt departure from the peaks. Again Aquarius howled with laughter and his mirth was so infectious that Ares was soon laughing with him. But then he felt anxious that Capricorn might be worried about him and asked if there was any way he could let her know that he was safe. It dawned on him that a sense of responsibility was his legacy from Capricorn. No sooner said than done, responded the earnest young man. Follow me. His speech had a sharp, decisive style and his stride was long and rangy. There was nothing flowery about Aquarius. They made their way to a flight of stairs in the workroom and up through a hatch which opened onto a flat roof. A strange apparatus stood in one corner, composed of mirrors, pulleys and levers. A Capricorn has a similar apparatus, he informed Ares. We usually send messages via the birds, but I recently devised this system as an alternative. However, I've yet to find a means of alerting each other that one of us is trying to communicate. Do you spend all your time inventing, asked Ares, impressed by all he had so far heard of Aquarius's achievements. Well, I suppose I do, replied his host. I'm driven to find new ways of doing old things, but my individual purpose is intended to serve the common benefit. I don't call it inventing. I call it innovating, because the answers are already here, waiting to be discovered and utilised. And taking hold of the levers, he began rapidly manipulating them, causing the mirrors to catch the rays of the sun and reflect them towards the mountain top. Ares watched intrigued. Look up there, pointed Aquarius. We're getting a reply. Ares glanced up at the mountain and was further impressed to see a sequence of answering flashes. Oh, bother! exclaimed Aquarius, noting down the sequence. Cap says she has been trying to contact me ever since you left. He returned a sequence to her, then vocalised her next reply because it was intended for Ares himself. Glad you are safe. Stop. You must attend the council. Stop. You lost. At which Ares instructed him to reply, I'm calling a rematch. Capricorn flashed back that she was calling for a meeting of the collective to be held as soon as possible and that Aquarius should ensure the Pisces attend. She wanted all present for the good news about the pearl. Once the messages had been exchanged, they returned to the house and talked far into the night. Aquarius was impressed by Ares' tale. He was overjoyed to hear about the pearl being with cancer and agreed with Ares' theory that the Shrike was the culprit in its theft. Unlike Capricorn... Aquarius was very curious about the Shrike and seemed concerned about Ares' idea that it somehow involved with Scorpio and the incident in the grove. Do you think Scorpio and the Shrike are plotting together to be rid of me then? Oh no, Aquarius was emphatic. I don't think that at all. Scorpio would not involve herself with that Shrike. I'm just curious about the Shrike or what you know of it or any other rumours or lies it might have spread. Nothing more. But tell me about your time in the labyrinth and your miraculous escape and your adventure on the northern sweeps of Sag. I've been there. Spectacular. Pity Sag isn't here now. He's great company. But you say he's gone to collect the gems for the celebration. Now that promises to be a great party. Now the pearl has been found. Did you hear about the time he almost set an eagle alight? Aquarius laughed as Ares recounted what Libra had told of that event. He listened attentively as Ares described his ordeal in the labyrinth, but then became restless, began pacing on hearing about the salt water pouring onto the fire. Salt water? mm, That certainly suggests the ocean has found some way into the mountain. Ares told him that Capricorn thought he may have some answers to that problem. That means she thinks I'm responsible in some way, he complained, throwing his hands in the air. But I had to test my new discovery... Its power is awesome; it can change life as we know it," He said, his manner becoming increasingly excited. Oh, from what I've heard, it has already changed things. replied Ares he knew Aquarius was expounding about his explosives, and he was referring to what Capricorn had told him about the creation of the lower lake in Aquarius's realm. The explosives can't possibly of course problems with the transforming fire, snapped Aquarius. I took the very greatest precautions when blowing up the rock to create another lake. There could have been no reverberation into the range itself. He looked earnestly at Ares, as though considering whether or not to say more. Then spoke out. Um, There was another, bigger blast, but that was done so far out to sea that no effect whatsoever could have been felt in the mountains. Again he stopped, his mind racing. He thought, but didn't say unless there was some underlying fault, some shift in the ocean bed that had been triggered by the explosion. But he couldn't be blamed for the unseeable, could he? His mind then jumped from the matter of the underground lake and returned to the power of his innovation. But that's what experiments are about, testing theories, trying things out. He threw a glancing smile to his audience, bringing himself back to the moment. This saltwater leak might have happened in any event through erosion. Unexpected things happen all the time. I mean, take what happened in your realm an earthquake. That's why I have to know more about the labyrinth, because the firebright gems are vital to our continued existence. Aquarius went on to explain that his greatest endeavor was to shed light into the workings of the labyrinth to make it more accessible. If I can explore its deepest hell secrets, it might lead to knowledge that will enable the gems to be forged outside of the labyrinth, saving the labours of Scorpio and eliminating the dangers of freak accidents, like that underground lake, for instance. I may even discover the beginnings of existence, the purpose of life itself, he proclaimed, wide-eyed, running his hands over his unruly hair in fruitless attempts to smooth it. "'Purpose of life!' exclaimed Ares. He felt that, while he might not yet have the inventive knowledge of Aquarius, he had had actual experience which gave equal weight to his view. "'I believed I would perish in that labyrinth. Everything was black, painful, and hopeless. But something glinted in the darkness, the gems. My hopes revived.' I seize my chance to survive, and because of my experience there, I've come to see what life means to me. I'm glad to be in the daylight, to experience my senses and appreciate all around me. Is this not a purpose of life? Aquarius stopped pacing and glared at his visitor. A mere platitude, but its simple truth made him furious. If he was to wholly accept that view, he would have to forsake his endeavours. His whole being resisted Ares' words. ''What about knowledge? What about progress? Are we to remain in ignorance?'' he railed. ''No, not in ignorance,'' said Ares coolly. He wanted to discuss this. ''As you say, you innovate. All is in place waiting to be discovered and utilised. When there is so much more to do, like improve communications across the realms or observe the patterns in the night sky, for instance,'' Why bother to unearth the labyrinth? It can be explored and mapped more thoroughly, I agree. A map would have been useful, and a light. But to interfere with its workings, to expose it, and try to forge the fire-bright gems in a different way, may bring disaster as much as enlightenment. I mean, if you forge the gems differently, how can you be sure that they will have the same properties as those made naturally by the fire? How can you know exactly what difference their difference will make? As you say, the unexpected happens. Oh, your rhetoric bears the hallmark of Sagittarius, called his Aquarius, wanting to stem this philosophical outpouring. Sag was a much-loved and respected friend of Aquarius, but often they would get into heated debate about the labyrinth along much the same lines as he and Ares were now arguing. Aquarius strolled over to the large window and looked out over the lake. It was almost daybreak, and a low mist hovered on the surface of the water. In its cool mountain setting, the scene was beautiful, almost surreal. He felt churned up inside. He had such a fervent desire to know the labyrinth. Its secrets challenged him. There was so much yet to discover. Oh, ''Why don't you go into the labyrinth? Scorpio can lead you,'' suggested Ares. ''Oh, I've tried that already, without success.'' Although Scorpio consented, she was very against the idea. I find her very intense, and we're often at loggerheads. I'll have a flash of insight, but she wants to delve into the whys and wherefores of it. Also, I find the tunnels are suffocating. I couldn't think in there. I need space and light, he replied. I admire you for surviving that trial alone. I'm sure I would have lost my mind and perished. He stretched and yawned. "'But that's enough discussion for now. "'We must get some rest before we take off for the Pisces. "'They'll be over the moon to hear about Picella's pearl, I can tell you.' "'And fetching Ares a feather-filled quilt, "'he bid him good morning and went off to bed himself.' Burying his head under his pillow, "'Aquarius didn't want to think any more about anything. "'Instead, he was looking forward to visiting the Pisces' sister later, "'not only to bring them what he believed was the good news,' but because in their romantic and sometimes muddled notions, they often accidentally attained a clarity when he needed to ease his mind. It was long after sundown when a Sagittarius arrived in the main hall with the gems. He asked after Ares and Capricorn told him he'd tumbled off the mountain, but had landed safely with Aquarius. She was evidently much amused by Ares and in good spirits. He brought out the playful side of me. It's been fun having him around. But her demeanour changed when she learned that the pearl was not with cancer, nor, as far as she was concerned, was it with Ares. The fact is he was burnt naked, as you know, "'You didn't see anything on him, neither did I. "'I nursed him and made him a coat to keep out the cold. "'If he had had anything about his person, anything at all, "'one of us would have seen it.' "'She was quite adamant. "'Then all we can hope is that Scorpio will find it,' said Saj. "'They both knew this was akin to finding the smallest of needles "'in the largest of haystacks.' They were awake before dawn and after a light breakfast Capricorn said she would go to the watchtower and dispatch the other raven with a message for Aquarius, warning him not to raise the hopes of the Pisces, that the pearl was lost, and to expect her at his workshop that afternoon. There was no point in holding a meeting now, as she had messaged to Aquarius. Instead she decided she would accompany him and Aries to the Pisces grotto and wait for Scorpio's news regarding the pearl good or bad. Sagittarius told her he would return to Scorpio's realm to wait with Libra for the outcome of the search. He would take one of the toboggans to speed him down the mountain and should arrive well before sundown. You will virtually have to fly down the mountain to make such good time, remarked Capricorn, concerned for his safety, although she knew him to be a superb sportsman. Aha, now there's a thought. I don't suppose Aquarius has left his flying machine here. He'd hoped he had. Oh, no chance. He keeps it so close, I shouldn't be surprised if he sleeps in it, she grinned. Then I'll make the toboggan fly. Don't worry, I can handle it, he assured her. It'll be an easy ride over those drifts. He then became serious. If Scorpio has found the pearl, Eagle will get it to the Pisces with all speed, and all will be well. We will follow, taking the lower pass to Aquarius's realm, and your party could then join us there from the grotto. Although it's a little unconventional, there's no reason why the celebration can't take place around the lake on this occasion. He paused and placed his hands on her shoulders. If the pearl is not found, then Eagle will bear only the message that Scorpio, Libra and myself are on our way to join you at the Pisces grotto to say our farewells. At these last words, Capricorn bowed her head and turned her face away from him. Her shoulders slumped as though some great weight had suddenly descended upon her. She now found it difficult to feel the slightest hope the pearl would be found, thought it was too improbable. The odds against it were far too high. Oh, what's the point of holding on to a false hope? Her voice sounded flat, defeated. Why not just except the inevitable, no matter how dark. Sagittarius put his arms around her, comforting her silent tears. We must not despair, Capricorn, not until the last, the very last moment for hope has passed, he said gently and quietly took his leave. Ares had barely rested before he was disturbed by an eerie, wailing sound. The quiet of Capricorn's realm had fine-tuned his hearing, and he was sure he could discern a plaintive voice, a sorrowful song floating over the resonance of the waterfalls. He was prompted to investigate alone rather than rouse his host for what might turn out to be little or nothing. The early morning air was frosty, and mist still hovered on the lake. He shivered. The woolly coat had kept him warm in the dry, cold air of the peaks, but on these frost-covered shores of Aquarius's realm, the damp chill seeped into his bones. All was still. There was no one to be seen. The song was coming from downriver, and intrigued, he was drawn towards it. A small dinghy was moored to a wooden jetty extending from the veranda, which ran around the base of the house, but he preferred to stay on foot. Descending the staircase of lakes, he broke into a run through the woodlands, following the river and the song, Down to the Sea.
0: That was Maria reading the Aquarius chapter of her book, Follow the Sun. So, Marion, since its discovery, as I understand, in 1781, the planet Uranus has been given to rule the sign of Aquarius, where its principle is best expressed. Tell me more about that.
1: Yes, the principle of Uranus is one's urge to freedom and independence of behaviour. Uranus has an eccentric orbit that dips above and below its ecliptic, And this eccentricity is deemed to give inspirational ideas, and any planet aspected by Uranus will be made more galvanised, more unusual in its working. It's what we call an extra-Saturnine planet. That means it happens after Saturn. We could only see it with technology. And along with Neptune and then Pluto, all of which could not have been discovered without technology, and there have been many inventions since the discovery of Uranus. I mean, electricity was being experimented with earlier than that. Later, flight and communications technology, um, and also, you know, I think it was the time of the French Revolution broke out at that time. There's great disruptions, all of that. And because it's of its unusual orbit, it's deemed to bring sudden disruptive changes or unusual circumstances in the area of one's birth chart that it's found. You know, if it's found in the the, the place where you're you know, home, the fourth house, very large disruptions in the home life a lot of the time, in partnerships or in career, wherever it's found, those sudden changes, unexpected changes can happen. The other two extra Saturnine planets are Neptune, which was discovered in 1846, and Pluto, which was first seen around 1936. Now because it takes so many years for these further planets to orbit the Sun, they're deemed to be more generational in, in effect, unless they're very closely aspected to one of the personal planets, and those planets whose orbits fall within Saturn's boundaries. Yeah. Another way of looking at these three planets is that they are a higher octave of the earlier known planets, raising the thoughts and widening the outlook of humanity. I mean, Uranus could be deemed a higher octave of Mercury, and Neptune, a higher octave of Venus, and Pluto, a higher octave of Mars. i never thought of those like that. I've never heard that before. Mm. Yeah, that's a school of thought that's been around for, for quite some time. But, I mean, Neptune's interesting in itself. As I say, in 1846... I mean, this planet has to do with what hides itself from view, Neptune. I'm going to discuss these three here rather than after the next perhaps I think it's more valuable here. Neptune, 1846, this planet has to do with what hides itself from view. And true to its nature, it was discovered by indirect means in that it was not seen, but its position was presupposed because of its pull had altered the path of Uranus. So, you know, see that behind the scenes thing there. And around that time, ether was used in surgery and gas began to be used for lighting. And these things escape if they're not contained. And Neptune is said to be concerned with the boundless, the imagination, the spiritualism, idealism and drugs. And the transcendence of the material. In one's chart, it signifies an area of life where one is woolly or uncertain or too idealistic. But Neptunian qualities can be engrossing on a creative level if you're able to use the energy successfully. And Neptune co-rules Pisces, whose traditional ruler is Jupiter, and that's the next podcast we'll come to, but anyway. Pluto, 1936, is the co-ruler of Scorpio along with Mars. And as I said in that chapter, Pluto is concerned with elimination, transformation and regeneration. That which was in the dark or enclosed is violently ejected. One development that happened with the emergence of Pluto was, of course, the atom bomb. Also, there's been the growth of psychology, where psychoanalysis helps the patient to eliminate from his unconscious much that's repressed there. I mean, hence Aries' memory of his clan surfacing in the Scorpio's labyrinth. Oh,
0: now it becomes clear. I understand it more. Thank you, Marion. You've been listening to the latest podcast in the series Follow the Sun. Look out for the next one where Marion Mente will take us into the last sign of Pisces. This is a story based on the sequence of the zodiac, so make sure you don't miss out by subscribing through your favourite podcast provider. Follow the Sun was written by Marion Mente. The podcast was produced and presented by me, Pomi Harmer, and this was a Black Pearl production.